Hi, Rav Judy here with Masechet Makot, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Aleph, dedicated in memory of Sandy Malach, Sarah Batsidik Yaakov. Masechet Makot is a Masechta with three prakim, uh, three chapters. The first chapter is really an extension of things learned in Masechet Sanhedrin, really at the very end. Uh, the second parak has its own subject, and the third parak is the one that actually gets to Makot, to lashes, but that's not going to be till the third parak. We'll get there when we get there. The First parak deals with the topic of Edim Zomimin. Edim Zomimin are really an extension of Masechet Sanhedrin. In, in a way, Makot is the uh, epilogue to Sanhedrin. In Masechet Sanhedrin, there, uh, the very end, we mentioned this kind of special witnesses, special Edim Zomimin. Uh, Edim Zomimin are a, they're really a chok. They're a, a law that is not necessarily intuitive. One wouldn't have necessarily come up with this on their own. And it goes like this. There's regular Ede Sheker, um, which are false witnesses. And false witnesses could be somebody comes along and says that they, they saw, you know, A comes along and says that B owes C money, that B murdered C, that B did something ritually wrong. And the response would be that A would, that B would, if convicted, have to pay money or be put to death or be given lashes or whatever it might be. And it turns out that A was lying. B did no such thing. That's general, standard, garden variety, false testimony. Adam Zomin is a special subset that I don't think is intuitive, but it's a, a special law, it's a chok in the Torah, which is what happens if A says that B owes somebody money, uh, did a ca- committed a capital crime or a, or a non-capital crime, a corporal crime, whatever it might be. And it turns out that whether B actually did that or not is irrelevant. A couldn't have known because A wasn't there that day. Meaning A said, I saw B borrow money from C in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, I saw B murder C in Milwaukee. I saw B eat trafe in Milwaukee, whatever it might be. But A couldn't have known that because other people come along and testify that A was not in Milwaukee. A was in Miami that day. <laughs> They're not even near each other. There's no way A did not see that. Now, B may or may not have done it. It could actually turn out in the end that B did borrow that money or B did murder somebody or B did eat something, to whatever it might be. But the point is A is an aid zomain because A couldn't have known that because A wasn't there at that time. So whatever A is testifying to is not something that A saw. Whether it is or isn't true is kind of irrelevant. A could not have seen it. Now, with that in mind, we enter into or dive into the first Mishnah. How does a witness become a zomain? Domain witness, this special category. And the mission does something a little bit unusual, which is that instead of telling us how you do become a zomaim, it tells us cases that are not classic zomaim. Because the response the Torah gives us is, Asitem lo kasher zamamla, so you will do to him what he tried to do to someone else, meaning our punishment for Adam Zomamin which is different than other false witnesses, our punishment to Adam Zomimin is that we we give them what they tried to dish out to someone else. If A was going to cause B to owe $100 to C, for what happened in Milwaukee for borrowing money, A will have to pay B $100. If A was going to cause B to be put to death as a murderer of C, A is put to death. If A was going to cause B to get lashes for eating something trafe, then A gets the lashes. Whatever they try to dish out, they get. But the Mishnah starts off with some cases that do not follow that pattern, namely, Mi'idin anu bi'ish ploni, Pardon the background noise. That uh, the Eden out of Yishploni Shuhu Ben Grusha Ben Chalutza. If the 
message being sent or the 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 testimony is that uh that these that these witnesses it's really it's there's never really one aid zomim it's always a pair as in all other testimony um that the the witness come along and saying i testify that that this person we testify that this person is a ben grusha ben grusha means that this person is the child of a kohen and that kohen was married to a divorcee which is asr ben hatorah and it makes the child no longer a kohen they're now a halal O ben chalutza is another form of divorce it's divorce from yibum um, but either way the kohen was not supposed to be married and in making that the, that claim in court what this uh, what these these Adam Zomen are doing is causing someone else to be potentially treated as a non-Kohen. So in Omrim, Ben Gusha Ben we don't say that the person testifying is now considered to be a Chalal, a Ben Gusha Ben Chalutza, a non-Kohen, because number one, the people testifying may not have been Kohenim in the first place. So you can't really give them what they tried to dish out. You can only give them something else. Plus, for reasons the Gemara gets into, it doesn't really make sense to apply that to them. They were trying to dish out something that couldn't really apply, be applied back properly. So, rather than give them what they tried to dish out, we'll give them 40 lashes instead. Another case that is not classic Edom Zomimim before we've even gotten to regular Edom Zomimim in our Mishnah. That if somebody says, I testify, or we testify as Edom Zomimim, we testify that we saw so-and-so kill somebody else by accident and as a result should be sentenced to exile. We'll get to that in the second parak. We don't say, we don't say, we'll let the Adam Zomen get what they tried to dish out. They have to go to exile because as we'll find out in the second parak, exile is something of an atonement. It's an atonement for what happened by accident. And these people... These witnesses did not actually do that. They don't get the atonement. They get 40 lashes instead. Let's say we say about so-and-so, you know, they're, they're testifying that so-and-so divorced his wife and did not give her a ketubah, which is trying to cause so-and-so to owe money. The problem is that the, if the they didn't divorce and they don't owe the ketubah, then they could still divorce tomorrow and have to pay the ketubah. And then there's that, that debt is still out there. So how do we figure out how much these Adam's own men need to pay the person they were accusing of having divorced without paying a ketubah? We try to figure out the present value of the ketubah. This is we get into a little bit more of, uh, of finance here. But what's the present value of a ketubah? Meaning that it has a value that if the husband dies first or divorces his wife, he'll have to pay her. But if she dies first, the husband keeps the money. It doesn't know anything. So what is a ketubah worth as a potential a document that will allow for potential connect, collection? It will allow for collection if the husband dies first. So you pull out an actuarial chart, you interview the husband, so uh, do you take good care of your house? Do you exercise regularly? How old are you? Do you smoke? Do you drink? All sorts of things to figure out the health of the husband. Or how's the marriage going? Uh, are we concerned about divorce here? Try to figure out how much the, the, the ketubah would be worth and uh, pay it its present value, noting that if she dies first, then you wouldn't get anything. So what is ketubah worth on the open market now?